This morning's scripture reading is from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But... If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is God's Word. Amen. Please be seated. So some people are really excited about the sermon today, and some people are very nervous about the sermon today. And that's a common response to a passage that is clearly about the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit... Well, in four words, our passage can be summed up today, as well as the entirety of the Christian life, day in and day out. In these four words, we can sum up the Christian life. Walk by the Spirit. It sounds simple enough, doesn't it? But this walking by the Spirit, Paul makes clear, and we'll see in verse 17, is not like a a stroll in the park. It's not like a walk Uh, through a peaceful park around Lake Eola or something. In fact, Paul makes clear this walking by the Spirit is much closer to a walk in an active war zone where there are landmines, where there are bullets flying, where there are people perishing all around us. And, And like anyone else who lives life in an active war zone, we can grow weary in the battle of the Christian life. We can grow tired. And every single one of us is fighting the same war. We're all engaged in the same war, but your battles are different than mine maybe this morning. Maybe you come in with certain battles. Some of you are in a battle that you're silent about because if you were to reveal it to anyone, you would be terrified of what they might think of you. Some of you are, are so scared that the fact that you're battling a particular sin makes you doubtful of your faith. Some of you uh, on the other side are, are fighting a battle that's so clear you wish you could hide it, but you can't. You've tried for long enough, and it's become clear to everyone you can't hide this. 
Uh, Some of you in this room are, are so distracted by the enemy, he's lured you into thinking that you're not in a battle. He's lured you into thinking that actually this talk about the Christian life, it doesn't really seem that hard to me. It doesn't seem like I'm in an active war zone. It seems more like a walk in the park. Uh, Some of you have been so beaten down by living in this war zone that there's a part of you that wonders if it's worth it anymore, honestly. It's a part part of you that wonders, is it worth it to keep fighting this battle or do I just give in? Do I just give in to this desire that I have that's clearly not from God? And no matter where you are, no matter where we are this morning, we all need Paul's words where he takes us into this description of how we ought to live. And he gives us expectations because isn't it true that anything in your life, if you go in with certain expectations, it's going to shape your experience. Whatever you expect will shape your experience. And Paul is laying out clear expectations for us of what this battle of the Christian life begins to look like. And we're not going to answer everything in this passage. We can't. Uh, but, but I do want to reflect on a couple of things. In this section, Paul is foregrounding now the work of the Spirit. Okay, it, It's not the first time he's mentioned the Holy Spirit in Galatians. We've talked about it in other times. But the Spirit makes a lot of appearances in Paul's words now in chapter 5 and chapter 6. 18 times in Galatians, Paul refers to the Spirit, and 11 of them are in chapter 5 and chapter 6. And seven of those 11 are in our passage today. So clearly, the Holy Spirit is foregrounded in whatever we expect the Christian life to look like, to be like, to feel like, the Holy Spirit must dominate the life of the redeemed person. I mean, it's clear, seven times in our passage today. A few. Paul tells the Galatians that they must walk by the Spirit, verse 6. They are led by the Spirit. Sorry, walk by the Spirit, verse 16. Led by the Spirit, verse 18. We are to bear the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22. We are to live by the Spirit, verse 25. We are to keep in step with the Spirit, verse 25. So what is Paul doing in this passage? If he's talking all about the Spirit, what is he doing? Well, he's doing a lot of things, but there are two things that I want to alert us to this morning. The first thing is that Paul is alerting us to the reality that there is a war with the flesh going on all the time in your life. Right now, moment by moment. In verse 17, he says it very clearly. Look with me in your worship folder. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those, for these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. And so this, this conflict that Paul has framed out for us, it's not a conflict in inclination uh, or personality. It's, it's, it's a conflict that goes so deep, it actually goes to your very desires, the very vision for your life that you have. There is a war going on. And when you exercise faith in Jesus, Galatians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says that when you exercise faith, God supplied us with the Spirit. He gave us the Spirit. And so the Spirit lives in us, And then that is when this war began. 
So think about that. Some of us uh, are so confused by these competing desires. We're so confused by the tension of this battle in the Christian life, right? We, we were told that the Christian life was going to be easy, filled only with victory. Some of us were. Some of us have expectations that once you receive the Holy Spirit, after having faith in Jesus, which by the way, the Spirit produces that faith, that somehow is going to be clear sailing. And, and maybe we're confused with all this talk of freedom that Paul has been giving us in Galatians. But here he makes it very clear, we are in a battle. And this battle is over more than simply behavior modification. That actually would be pretty easy. Right? There, are, there are whole philosophies in this world that teach us merely how to rewire our physical brain. Now the Spirit works in that. The Spirit is a part of that. But to, to, to modify your behavior is not at all what the Spirit is mainly doing. The Spirit is going deeper. The result is fruit that looks different than your life before. But what happened is you now actually are a part of new creation. In a minute, we'll get to the bearing, the fruit of the Spirit, but I've heard it said like this, the fruit of the Spirit are the buds of the new creation in your life. You see, you have been changed. And yet, there is this battle that's going on. And you feel this tension. And so there are two types of people mainly in this room. Okay? And there are probably more than two, but I'm just going to talk about two. And one, one group of you needs to hear this morning from Paul in verse 17 that there is the necessity of effort in the Christian life. Some of you this morning need to realize that you've accepted the grace of God in Jesus, but you've, you've fallen into some rhythm where you're coddling sin, where you have stopped engaging in this battle called the Christian life, right? You, you may have busied yourself with the cares of life, and now you're numb to this battle. But you might be one who reads this passage and thinks that this is a little over the top. I mean, I don't really feel that this is that hard. Right? Well, maybe you could ask yourself, if, if somehow we could show that Jesus really didn't rise from the dead and therefore our faith is really meaningless, would your life change much or not? Because if the answer to that question is, I guess not really. I mean, I'd pretty much live the same way. I'd pretty much make the same decisions. You might not be engaging in the battle. You see, we say that our mission is whole life gospel transformation. It may sound cute. It may sound cool. It means a lot to me. But what that means is that we believe the gospel, the power, the transforming power of the gospel goes into every nook and cranny of your life. See, growing in Christ's likeness is not comfortable. It doesn't always feel good. It's certainly not easy, and it doesn't come natural. Okay, that, that's another thing. People think, well, if it doesn't come naturally, then it's not good. It's like, well, we still have a lot to learn then. So some of you this morning need to re-engage in this battle. By the Spirit, you need to declare war again. Now, some of you, though, on the other hand, need to recognize that holiness will always be incomplete. Some of you are riddled with guilt and fear. 
and, and, and you just constantly recount all of your failures. It's easy to you. It, it comes naturally to you to just create this list of all of the ways that you failed. And so what you need to hear this morning is that this battle is never ending. This battle will never go away. So the fact that you're engaging in the battle is not a sign that you should doubt, but it's actually a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. That's what Paul is saying. Maybe, maybe you're crushing yourself with guilt over your sin. You're striving toward perfection. But you need to know that that battle that you're engaging in is not being fought only by you. It's being fought by the Holy Spirit that's in you. So what this means, that this battle will never end, is that we will continue to find ourselves with opposite urgings. There will always be a battle. This means that our heart will never absolutely be pure. We'll never do anything absolutely right, even though we should always be striving to do so. This is how one commentator says it. In this sense, then, the Christian is being prevented every moment from doing what he or she wants to do. We live with the knowledge that everything we have done might and should have been done better. Not only the lapses into which pride, weakness, and folly have betrayed us, but also our attempts to do what is right and good also fall short. After each such attempt and each particular action, we regularly will see specific ways in which we could be improved, both motivationally and in our performance. If, if we're not okay with that, we're in for an even more difficult life. So you see, we need to remember that any idea of getting beyond conflict, outward or inward, in our pursuit of holiness is an escapist dream that will only disillusion you. It will only demoralize you. We just read it in community Bible reading, Hebrews 12. Listen to this. Consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You see, this is a struggle that will go on and on. Now, no matter where you fall out this morning, Paul is clear. The Christian life is war. But this is what I really want to talk about this morning. I want, to, I want to make you aware Christian life is war and ask you, where are you more inclined to fall out? Disengaging the battle or being crushed by the battle thinking you're carrying it all on your shoulders? Where do you fall out? And, and wherever you find yourself, we need to go to this point to answer this question. If the Christian life is war, how will you fight it? How will you fight in the war? And Paul gives us direction here. So the second thing, he says, the way you'll fight it is to walk by the Spirit. That's really all we need to hear, right? We know exactly what he means. Walk by the Spirit. Well, I think there might be some confusion. But what is clear in the book of Galatians is that the Galatians were wondering, okay, how do we fight this battle of the flesh? How do we do that? And the agitators, the, the, the other false teachers were telling them, the way you'll fight this battle is by submitting to the law. That's the way you'll fight this battle. 
And what Paul now is saying is, no, the law will not help you. It's only living life by the Spirit. That's how you will fight this battle. And so while perfection is out of grasp, this doesn't mean that Christians do not advance in holiness. I mean, look at, look at verse 16. He says, walk by the Spirit. And then there's a promise. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And gratify is a good word here because gratify, the word means to bring to completion, to end. Same word for telos that we get, this this purpose, this goal. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not take to completion this, this desire in you of the flesh. Well, of course you won't. Because as you're walking by the Spirit, you may err, you may fall off, but you will never give in. You will fight battles, but a Christian will never lie down. They will walk. And and it's interesting, he doesn't say do backflips. He doesn't say show off. He doesn't say impress everyone. He says walk. Just how do you walk? One step, and then another step, and then another step. And so this walking, simply put, is a moment-by-moment, step-by-step, following the Holy Spirit in this beautiful battle called the Christian life. And it doesn't come naturally. This list, right, of uh, vices in verses 19 to 22, right, the works of the flesh are evident, he says. This is what comes naturally. Because... This desire in you, this flesh in you, has had lots of practice. You sort of have this flesh operating system in you. It's just the way it goes. You wake up and it just, it, it, it boots online, right? This, this flesh operating system. But the moment that you receive the Spirit, the Spirit up, began uploading this new operating system of the Spirit. And now you have this battle of which one will be the one you live from? Which one will be the one that you live out of? Which one will you walk in? And so when we look to faith, Galatians 3, chapter 5, to Jesus, and we receive the Holy Spirit, in that moment, this work began happening in you. And the interesting thing in our experience is we have to keep living while this is happening, right? We have to keep living. So have you been to an airport that has endless construction? Or have you been anywhere where they're open for business because they have to be? I mean, I think about on Ma- near our office on Magnolia, how many restaurants went in and out, except for the sushi restaurant. That thing held strong. Everything else, there were three or so uh, restaurants. Why? Because there was construction in the front. You didn't even know if the restaurants were open, right? And you, you just believe that somehow they're making things better, right? Well, your life is similar in that. You are always under construction, There's always something the Holy Spirit is demolishing in your life, and you got to figure out how to live while this is happening, right? There's always something happening. There's reconstruction. There's reprogramming. There's there's transformation happening. And there's dust everywhere. And there's dirt everywhere. And there's constantly this battle that's happening. And so this is deep work. We have to be reprogrammed or renewed in order for more and more of our lives to run on the spirit operating system, right? We're constantly under construction. 
But if we say walk by the Spirit, we could ask the question, how does this happen? Now, the Christian life is not a how-to, so it doesn't get really simple, right? If we think about it, though, we could say this, that the Spirit directs and empowers the believer. Look with me here at this, uh, this verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There's only two times in the New Testament that Paul uses this phrase, led by the Spirit. And he doesn't mean what we normally mean when we say led by the Spirit. When we say led by the Spirit, we tend to think that the Spirit somehow revealed something to me, illuminated something in my heart, nudged me in a certain direction. That might happen in your life, but that's not what this means. Okay, what this means when Paul says in Romans uh, 8.14, and when Paul says it here that we are led by the Spirit, here's the good news of being led by the Spirit. Although this battle is going on in us, the primary leader in our life is the Spirit now, not the flesh. We're being led by the Spirit. And because of that, we no longer must engage the law for salvation. So that's why it's good news that he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. This type of leading is guidance. It's it's actually an impelling of our wills to pursue and practice and hold fast to what God has made known already. So the good news is that the flesh is not leading us, the Spirit is. And when we know what the Spirit is doing, it makes this leading more obvious. Here's an example. When Leah and I first got married, we took ballroom dancing classes. Have any of you kids ever danced like that in ballroom dance? Any of you? No? Somebody's like, no. Yeah. Well, one day, you should try it. You should try it. And um, I don't have great rhythm, but I can count. And so you try to count, right, with the steps. Well, someone has to lead when you're dancing, you both can't lead, okay? And, and, and Leah and I found this out. Now, Leah was a better dancer than me. She had some experience dancing. And this was really the first time I had ever danced except for, you know, this thing right here, this thing in middle school and high school. You guys will know about that soon, soon enough. So that's the only thing I knew of dancing. But we're dancing, and the instructor keeps telling me, you need to lead, you need to lead. And I said, I don't know where I'm going, So how can I lead if I don't know where I'm going, right? But as soon as I began to figure out the steps and understand, okay, this way and this way and this way, well, guess what? Not only would I become a better leader, it became easier for Leah to follow. You see, the Holy Spirit is not like me trying to learn how to dance. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what he's trying to do. He knows exactly where he's leading us. He knows exactly what he wants to see happen in your life. And if you're like, tell me, what does he want? Let's look. What does he want? He wants to produce in us the fruit of the Spirit. He wants love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, this is what God looks like. And God-likeness for humans looks like Jesus. You see, and that's why we say we want to become more like Jesus because we want to become more holy, and a holy human looks like Jesus. And so this, in a sense, is a character sketch of Jesus, who is the image of God. This is where the Holy Spirit wants to take you. 
This is where the Holy Spirit wants to take all of us. These are virtues that must be cultivated, and the false teachers were trying to make them laws that could be legislated. But you see, they can't be. This is why it's deep work. You don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to be patient. I got this. Does that work for you guys when your parents ask you to do something? No. Does it come, is it really easy to be kind when someone's being mean to you? It's not for me. But you see, I have to practice. You have to practice. We all have to practice. These are virtues that must be cultivated. And so the Spirit directs us. He knows exactly where he's telling us. Paul tells us where he's taking us. And he empowers us, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the other way that this works, the other way that we begin to walk by the Spirit is to engage the means that the Spirit gives us. And I just want to read you this quote. Okay, it's, it's, it's worth reading in its entirety. It's by J.I. Packer. He wrote a book called Walking by the Spirit. And I thought to myself, I can come up with something better than this. And it was impossible. So I'm just going to read the paragraph. Quote, The Spirit works through means, through the objective means of grace, namely biblical truth, prayer, fellowship, worship, and the Lord's Supper. And with them, through the subjective means of grace whereby we open ourselves to change. How do we open ourselves by cha- to change, by the way? Listen to him. Thinking, listening, questioning oneself, examining oneself, admonishing oneself, sharing what is in one's heart with others and weighing the responses they make. The Spirit shows His power in us, not by constantly interrupting our use of these means with visions and impressions or prophecies, but rather by making these regular means effective to change us for the better and for the wiser as we go along. Habit-forming is the Spirit's ordinary way of leading us on in His holiness. End quote. I would invite you, please don't scoff at that. Please don't think, yeah, we're definitely in a Presbyterian church, can't even talk about the Holy Spirit, freaking out about experience. No, actually, I deeply want you to experience the Holy Spirit. Because as we sang earlier, you know what you experience when you experience the Holy Spirit? You experience communion with God. You experience the very presence of the triune God. It's happening. It's it's happening in you. The very fact that you would want to know him is a work of the Holy Spirit. You see, we think all we need nowadays to make a good decision, to live a good life, is the right information. Really. Really. You think that's all you need is right information and somehow you'll make the right decisions? If, If at any time in history we knew that was bogus, it should be now. Think of all the information we have. No, I could tell you all the true things about the holy life and you would not want it unless the Holy Spirit opened your eyes. You would not want to know Jesus. You would not want to be holy unless the Holy Spirit was opening your heart and convincing you this is good, this is beautiful, this is freedom. But because you want that, 
when you go to pray and you say, God, I, I want to experience you. I want to know you. That's the Holy Spirit. When you come to the word of God and you say, God, I want, I want to not just see words on a page. I don't, I don't only want to know things. I want to be changed this morning. Do you pray that when you go to CBR in the morning? That is the f- one of the first things I pray. Some, something like, I'm tired. I'm serious. Something like, I'm so tired, but I'm not in bed because I want to be with you. And then I realize, no, I really don't want that. What I want is to be in bed. And then I say something like, make me want to be with you. Make me want this. Change me. It doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? That's about how it goes for me. So I would invite you, don't scoff at the ordinary means of grace, but lean in and experiencing them. The spirit works through means. And so the last thing I want to say this morning is where do we get the motivation to engage in this battle? Where do we get the motivation? And the simplest thing I can say is from experiencing Jesus. So then you might say, well, how do I experience Jesus? Yeah, I said the means of grace, but but let let me go on and say one more thing. All of us, all of us, long to experience belonging. Some of you this morning, you need to be reminded that you're not on your own. Kids, you need to be reminded when you go to school and you may get bullied or you may be nervous that you're not alone, but that you actually have a helper You know, and the way we can say that is, we belong. We belong to the family of God. And I get this right here from verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. It doesn't say those who have crucified their passions belong to Christ Jesus. It says those who belong have crucified You see, as we grow in personal fellowship with Jesus through these means and by the Spirit, our character will begin to become more like Jesus and will grow in our certainty of being loved, of being redeemed and adopted. That's what the Spirit's gonna do. That's what Paul says. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, now you belong, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's what Paul said earlier in Galatians. Now, let's, let's go back to these fruit of the Spirit. I, I'm not going to walk through them and define and, or describe each one of them. But I do want to point out, what do you think would happen if you experienced these toward you? What do you think would happen? You see... When Jesus interacts with you, how do you think he interacts with you? Does he keep you at arm's length? Is he putting up with you? Is he kind of annoyed with you? Is he cold? Is he aloof? No. Look with me, 22. He loves you. 
When you commune with Jesus, he is filled with joy. He is so overflowing with peace that when the disciples were with him, everyone knew. Jesus is filled with patience toward you. He's not just waiting to pull the rug out from underneath you. He's filled with kindness toward you and with goodness, and he's faithful, and he's gentle, and he's, he's filled with self-control. He's not just waiting to fly off the handle at you. What do you think it's like when you experience God like that? When you realize the reason the Spirit wants to take me to these things is because this is what he is like. And this is what he is like towards us. See, when you look at these, you look at this fruit, this is how Jesus acts toward us. And when we engage with him, in the battle of the Christian life and understand this is how he views us moment by moment. We know we're not alone in this walk. We're not alone in this battle. And that frees us and that empowers us and that encourages us and it changes us. You wanna be changed by the Holy Spirit? Engage the means of grace. Look to Jesus and you will be transformed from one degree of glory to another. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now um, in different places, some of us so defeated, some of us lethargic, some of us hopeful. Wherever we are, I pray that you would do the deep work in us as we reflect on your word, that you would change our very desires, that, Holy Spirit, we would stop taking credit for even wanting the right things, and we would understand, oh, there are so many evidences of your work in our life. The very fact that we're here this morning and we want to listen, we, we're hungry for more of you, that is all you're doing. So I pray that all of us would reflect this morning, and that we would ask you to illumine our hearts with your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.